Hello and welcome to the RBC Ross Trevor Campus Sermon Podcast. Our mission here is loving God, loving people and seeing lives change. At RBC, our heart is to build a Jesus-centered community, to see lives changed in multiple languages and locations. We hope you enjoyed this message from one of our weekend services. To find out more about us, please visit our website, rbc.org.au. This time last year, we were imagining, perhaps ever hopeful, that 2022 would be COVID-free. These past years have brought to the fore levels of anxiety and inner conflict across our nation and across the globe at levels that are far greater in significance in many ways than the pandemic itself. Internally and externally, we live in a world which is constantly full of this kind of thing. Now, there's two ways we can approach this. We can come to a gathering like this and uh, we can try and pump each other up. We can be incredibly positive because we do have a lot of positive things in the Christian faith. We can speak of the hope. We can speak of the, the power of God. We can speak of his presence with us no matter what we're going through. And we can try and somehow lift ourselves from the darkness. And that's valid. But there is also another biblical approach. And we find this time and time again in the Psalms. It's called the lament. And I think as evangelical Christians, we do better at the former than the latter. We struggle to sit in the space where we feel the weight of what is going on in our world. And instead, we quickly jump to the upbeat praise song, to the positive promises of Scripture, and we try to move on without actually feeling the weight of what is going on. I don't think there'd be too many in the room that haven't felt the weight of these two years. This is a season where you can't ignore it. Personally, as I've been preparing for this series and, and thinking particularly about this morning, trying to find the balance between saying that there are biblical truths that we need to be reminded of, that, that are foundational to us and that bring us great hope and promise. But they're not a panacea. They're not a quick fix. They're things that we sit in tension with time and time again. And as I've been preparing for this, I was saying to Sue just the other day, yeah, I personally, and I don't know about you, but I personally have been in the last few weeks in this place where I feel like I could uh, cry very easily. It's, uh, it's a weighty season. Now, you know, I, I, I don't have depression. I've, I've had depression in the past. I've had clinical depression in the past, and I was treated for that, and I'm thankful that God saw me through that. But I know I'm not suffering depression, but the weight of what is around me means that my emotions are not far below the surface. And I think it's important we acknowledge that that is okay. 
That is who we are. It's part of how we're wired. And so as we kick off this New Year series about peace, we are hoping to speak words into this season and into the personal struggles of each of us that bring a good balance. See, peace is a consistent theme throughout the Judeo-Christian scriptures and throughout our traditions. For the Christian faith, the presence of peace has always been the hallmark of the follower of Jesus. At his birth, Jesus was heralded as the bringer of peace. Remember the angels talk about this? Before he died, he promised that he would leave his disciples with peace, not as the world gives, but a peace that is beyond comprehension. And Paul spoke of peace as one of the fruit of the Spirit, one of the evidences of God's presence in our lives. But what is peace? Let's look at a contemporary definition of peace. It's a state, it's a noun for a start. It's a state of tranquility and quiet. It's freedom from disquieting and oppressive thoughts or emotions. It's harmony in personal relationships. And it's a state or a period of mutual concord between governments. This is the sort of technical description. This is the understanding that we have in our English language of what peace is. But what about the use of the word peace in scripture? You see, common use doesn't necessarily marry with what is actually meant. In, in the scriptures, in the Old Testament, we have Hebrew and in the New Testament, we have Greek. And the word behind all of it and behind our English translation of peace is the Hebrew word shalom. Shalom. Now, I could try and describe shalom to you, but the Bible Project have created a video that does this much better than I can. So let's just take a few minutes and watch this. Unfortunately, the video we've referred to there uh, can't be embedded in our broadcast. So I'd encourage you in your own time to follow the link. It's well worth watching. See, in the Bible, peace does include the concept of the absence of conflict. But it also points to something better in its place. In the Old Testament, where the language is Hebrew, the word translated peace is shalom. In the New Testament, where the language is Greek, the word translated peace is irene. The basic meaning of shalom is complete or whole. It, it can be used in scripture in a number of ways. For example, a stone is said to, con, uh, to have shalom if it is a perfectly shaped stone without cracks. Or a wall, a stone wall, is said to have shalom if it is not missing any bricks or any elements or any cracks. The idea is that something quite complex and full of different pieces is in a state of completeness 
or wholeness. And therefore, shalom can also apply to a person's well-being. Life is complex. It contains many different elements and relationships. And when any of those are out of sync, out of alignment or missing, our life needs to be restored. Shalom breaks down. Life is no longer whole. So to bring shalom is to make complete and whole, to restore things to the way they should be. Jesus was announced as the Prince of Peace, the Prince of Shalom. And he was coming, bringing a reign of shalom that would never end. He restored the broken relationship between humanity and our Creator. And he provided the mechanism for restored relationship one with another. And Jesus' followers are called to imitate him in creating peace. Through humility, through love and patience, we create peace in our broken world. So true peace requires the taking what's broken and restoring it to wholeness. So we see from this that when we use the word peace, we are ripped off. The concept of shalom is a much, much deeper and broader and uh, much more complete understanding. It's more profound and more widely encompassing. At a time when many of us have uh, struggles with anxiety, the reality and the gift of this shalom can be either overlooked, we forget that we have this peace of God, or it can be overemphasized in the sense of saying, you've got this, therefore you shouldn't feel this. It's in this tension that we sit. And through this series, we hope to present the reality of shalom at work as a work of the, and a gift and a fruit of the Holy Spirit in us. And today's message is about setting the foundation stone for the whole series. Christ is our peace. And for this, we read from Ephesians chapter 2. The, the, the broad context is 11 to 22, but the key verses are 14 to 18. Paul writes these words. Therefore, remember that formerly you were Gentiles by birth, that is those who were non-Jews, which includes most of us. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, Jew and Gentile, and has destroyed the barrier, 
the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to you who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. So in this passage, clearly, Paul is speaking about the work and person of Jesus Christ. He himself is our peace, a magnificent proclamation by Paul that Christ, that Jesus brings peace, but he is our peace. And it's a reference to a prophecy some 700 years before Jesus was born. The prophet Micah in chapter 5 says, he will be their peace. And here is Paul proclaiming, he is our peace. And this is where we need to be on our guard in our understanding of peace. We are shaped and schooled by Greek thought. Peace equals absence of conflict. Peace equals the absence of conflict. But Paul and Michael, they're both shaped by the Hebrew thought and have the mind and concept of shalom in their thinking and in their worldview. So not in terms of the absence of something, but rather in the presence of completeness and wholeness. Not a season without warfare and strife, but the presence of something wonderful. The presence and reality of wholeness of life. Shalom, peace, despite our circumstances. That's where that song we sang before speaks so clearly of this concept that we will praise him no matter what. We do so because his presence and peace are not dependent upon circumstance or feeling. The wording here, he is our peace, is an attempt to do justice to the strength of the Greek text. The grammar in it is emphatic. And one commentator says... To say Christ, that is to speak of peace. To speak of peace, that is to speak of Christ. They are inextricably linked. They are one and the same. And peace dominates the section that we've just read, both explicitly, where it's mentioned four times, but implicitly in the sense of the destruction of division and hostility and the access to reconciliation and relationship. 
Christ is our peace. He makes peace and he proclaims peace. Paul is connecting Jesus and peace as comprehensively as he possibly can. Jesus is the one who makes peace possible. He's the one who announces its availability. And he is the one in whom it is enjoyed. This emphasis is a continuation of all the teaching of Scripture throughout the Old Testament. Peace is consistently what God holds before his people. Shalom, wholeness, completeness, well-being. It is what he wills for his people, as seen in the great prophecies for the future, like Isaiah and Jeremiah. But this passage shows that the bringing of peace has two elements to it. There is a destructive element and a constructive element. Let's look at the destructive one first. The destruction of walls, barriers and systems that separate. So shalom comes into the world and it destroys some things. It breaks some things down. Specifically in this passage the reference is to this Jew and Gentile divide. The depth of nature of which we may not relate to at all. It was so deep seated. We see some of it in the deep-seated generational hate displayed in racial tension around the world. Whether in the Middle East, in parts of Africa, and currently, sadly, in Myanmar as well. The, the image that Paul uh, uses reminds me of the breaking down of the Berlin Wall in 1989. Where this structure that solidly divided two worlds, east and west, was demolished and is no more except for a small part that's there as a reminder. Jesus is our peace. And as our peace, he deals with everything that prevents humanity uniting. Everything that prevents relationship. It is all dealt with. All dealt with. We ourselves are Gentiles, as I've said. And we come to God from outside the family of Israel. We are not Jews. And forgive me if one of two of you in here are. But all the barriers to us being fully people of God have been removed. They're all gone. We too are embraced. That wonderful uh, expression that Paul uses, consequently, you are no longer foreigners. You're no longer on the outside. You're no longer strangers, unfamiliar. You now are fellow citizens of the kingdom of God and members of God's household. Beautiful privilege that has been bestowed upon us by the destruction of all that would prevent that. But not only is obstacle and hostility destroyed, something is built. Jew and Gentile don't come into good relationship just as Jew and Gentile. There is a constructive act. Jesus creates a new humanity, says Paul. The two become one new people, not branded by history. 
not separated by race, creed, color, or standing, but one together as the people of God. Clearly, this Jew-Gentile context is, as rich as it is significant, is only a foretaste to a much wider meaning. It's an indicator of the transformative work of God in the lives of his people across all nations and across all peoples. It's an exemplar of the unity of the church. And so we, the followers of Jesus, come as one. And Paul in Galatians says there is neither Jew nor Greek or Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. We could go on, black nor white, haves or have-nots. It doesn't matter what category you put people in. We are all one in the family of God. Now look around the room again. That doesn't mean... We're all the same. There is diversity amongst us. There is diversity across the world. But in the midst of and holding that diversity together, we are sisters and brothers of the same God. This is the beauty and richness of the kingdom. And this is the constructive element of Christ who is our peace. In Jesus, wholeness and completeness is brought to humanity. He is our salvation. But as an old ad says, but wait, there's more. Not only is there shalom on this horizontal plane of person to person and peoples to peoples, there is also the establishment of a vertical completeness and wholeness. A shalom with God himself. We are together reconciled to God. Restored to right relationship with God. A new relationship that puts us in equal free access to God the Father by the Spirit. And so as we spend the next weeks reflecting further on the nature of peace, of shalom... As we wrestle with the tensions of the reality that we still have very real struggles with anxiety at times. As we figure out what it looks like to hold on to shalom in the middle of the brokenness of our world. We start from the truth that Jesus is our peace. He is our shalom, our wholeness of life. Because Jesus has put to death and destroyed all that prevents us knowing peace. That is a truth that is unshakable. It is a reality that we need to lay hold of even when, for whatever reason, it is not our experience. There are numerous reasons that we might not experience it. It could be a physiological condition a medical medically diagnosed depression or other men mental illness and treatments can help but they don't always heal and people need to learn to live with the anxiety and the complexity of that reality these spaces can be very difficult to live in crippling and illogical 
but incredibly real. In these situations, this truth is a hope that can still be held on to, even if it's not being experienced. The peace promised by Jesus and embodied by him can become an anchor point in a life that is swaying from one extreme to another. But it's not a miracle cure. Don't ever say to someone, you heard that series on peace, you heard Mike say Jesus is our peace, so you just need to believe it. You just need to hold on to it. You just need to lay hold of it and make it real. Live in the tension. Live in the lament. The wish that it could be different. And still the truth that Jesus is our peace. Others can find it an apparent absence of this assured shalom in the, in the midst of fractured relationships. You see, the outworking of peace in our relationships always requires the collaboration of both parties. We're all imperfect. We're all broken to some degree or another. So when, despite our best efforts, relationships fail... Peace and shalom can seem distant. There are many other situations too where we can find ourselves struggling to live out, to live in shalom. And this is because we live in a now but not yet. The fulfillment of the good news of Jesus that we proclaim, that is a foundation of who we are, is a truth, but it is not yet fully realized in this broken world. So as we are so prone to look at our circumstance and to be affected by our feelings, let's acknowledge them both. And at the same time, let's keep a stake firmly in the ground that reminds us that Jesus is our peace. Let me pray. Father God, I don't know the stories of folk here in this room. But I know enough to know that there are folk here for whom the idea of peace of shalom, of completeness, of well-being seems like a distant hope. And for them, God, I pray that you by your spirit would continue to remind them of your nearness, stand alongside them in the midst of their struggles, give them tangible senses of your love and your mercy towards them in the midst of their wrestle. For those of us, God, who we don't know what this new year will hold, but we know in this world there will be moments where we wonder where you are and we wonder where you're up to, what you're up to. Remind us by your spirit, remind us by your word, remind us by your presence, remind us through our brothers and sisters that you are still God and your son Jesus 
will always be our peace. And we pray these things, Lord, wanting to hold on to them as beacons in an anxious world. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening and we hope that you enjoyed this podcast. If this message has impacted you in some way, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us through the hub online at thehub.rbc.org.au or through our social media links in the show notes. See you next time.